Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Alienware. During Dell Tech Fest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. New dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop powered by an Intel Core i9 processor. Featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Your dream setup, amazing prices, and free shipping await you for a limited time only at Alienware.com. That's Alienware.com slash deals. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Looking for hair removal tools that not only deliver smooth results, but also make you feel totally in control? Enter Conair Girlbomb. They're like your secret weapons for smooth, sleek results. Made just for us. From the ultimate Girlbomb grip to the professional-grade blades, say goodbye to settling for less. With Conair Girlbomb, you get the precision and power that used to only be exclusive to men's tools. So take your hair removal routine to the next level with Conair Girlbomb, available at Walgreens. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Alexis, codenamed Doc Holiday Jackson. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. It's the top of the week, which means it is time for more strange news. And as we always say in our strange news segment, a lot of stuff has happened. A lot of crazy things. Uh, Some of them are not getting reported widely in the news. Some of them are, but deserve a deeper dig. And then uh, some of them are (laughs) some of them are interconnected webs, right? It's like you're Mm -hmm. pulling up. Let me just do some torturous mixed metaphors. It's like or a simile. It's it's as if you are pulling up uh, the tip of an iceberg to see that there is not only an iceberg, but at the bottom of the iceberg, there's this web that's connected to all these other icebergs across the world. You're like, holy smokes, we only have so much time to talk about this. Uh, so, And how did all this webbing get so water resistant? Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of questions. That's, that's the takeaway here. Uh, but there's something that I, I think is interesting context uh, for our segment today. You know, earlier... We talked a little bit about deep fakes 
Well, we talked in depth about deep fakes, and we were unfortunately prescient in some of our uh, ideas about how these would be implemented further, not just in audio, but in video as well. And now we're starting to see some more of the rubber hit the road in a very public way. And full disclosure, this is something that uh, has potential to impact our own industry in the future as well. Uh, but for a lot of people, the first time they heard about this very specific kind of mad science was uh, just a few days ago, I believe. Right, Noel? Yeah, it's true. Um, it's a new documentary about <clears throat> the beloved traveler, world traveler, um, chef, you know, raconteur, uh, Anthony Bourdain, um, who, you know, tragically took his own life. I don't know, I think it hit a lot of people very, very hard because he just kind of really represented that kind of lust for life that I think many people kind of strive for, um, you know, in Parts Unknown, one of his series, one of his many series um, where he would, you know, go and travel the world and really just kind of hang out with the people, you know, and eat the food, the native food. And just really, I don't know, he just seemed like a really lovely guy. And it just goes to show that, you know, mental health uh, is not someone's mental health is not always apparent, you know, if they, they can seem very happy and they can seem like they're living their best life. But then, you know, there can also be kind of demons underneath the surface. And certainly turned out to be the case with Bourdain. Um, but this is about ethics in uh, in filmmaking. You know, we certainly see things like in The Irishman, for example, Scorsese film. I mean, they made Joe Pesci and, and Robert De Niro, you know, look younger. I kind of thought it took me out of the movie a little bit, sort of felt like a cut scene in the video game. But, you know, people still seem to really love that movie. Uh, or, you know, let's say bringing back Carrie Fisher, for example, in some of the Star Wars sequels, the more recent Star Wars sequels after she passed. Um, I, you could argue that's a little weird. <laughs> it's like like a Tupac hologram at Coachella or something. Uh, if it's done with the approval of the estate, uh and it's, you know, something like 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 fiction and seems pretty harmless, I guess. But what happens when you take this idea of deep fakes? And again, the ones I just described are pretty obvious. <laughs> like, you know, that's not really Carrie Fisher. Uh, as much as they try, you know, it still kind of looks like a video game cutscene. I'm sure it'll get better. But, you know, as we know with the Internet, like, I mean, these deep fakes have really started to pop up that absolutely could fool you, you know, and um, have the potential to ruin lives uh, if um, someone uses them you know, nefariously. And it's really caused a lot of uh, news agencies and, and publications, et cetera, to really start to have, you know, kind of ethical conversations around this stuff. Um, so obviously a documentary film is intended to be entertaining, but what happens when you take the voice of a, of a man who is beloved as, uh, as Anthony Bourdain was and recreate it? Um, using artificial intelligence by feeding it uh, dozens and dozens of hours of available recordings. Obviously, we're in an era where there are a lot of archival recordings of just about everything. And if you're someone that's as much of a public figure as Anthony Bourdain, um, it's going to be, you know, tenfold that what it would be for, you know, folks like us. Well, we, we, it's kind of interesting when you think about podcasting because we obviously have a lot of our audio of ourselves uh, out there on the Internet uh, for people to potentially mine and create yeah, AI clones of us if they so wished. And that's exactly what this filmmaker Morgan Neville did. Um, Morgan Neville is like probably one of the most high profile kind of like bespoke uh, documentary filmmakers in working right now. Um, so yeah, documentary filmmakers, like, you know, you, you had, you know, your 
Errol Morris, you know, who, who made some some very high profile ones that did very very well. You had um, some like by Werner Herzog, like Grizzly Man, that did really really well and were very high profile. And then of course you have the big biggest one, kind of the end all be all in terms of like popularity of a documentaries, which was Michael Moore and like Fahrenheit nine eleven, Bowling for Columbine before that, and uh, Roger and Me. But um, so this guy's kind of following in the footsteps of of those folks for sure in that documentary filmmaking certainly can be a little bit more niche but when you get to the level that this guy is and you're making a documentary about someone as beloved as anthony bourdain kind of would think that he'd expect some pushback from literally reconstructing anthony bourdain's voice uh to have it seem like he read what you could argue almost sounds like a suicide note that's not what it is. I believe it was a text or an email, some some text exchange with his friend, uh, the artist David Cho, who I think is also a really interesting character unto himself and, uh, you know, another kind of weirdo psychedelic traveler. Um, but it basically was saying something to the effect of, like, I'm successful, you're successful, but my life is shit now and are you happy kind of like looking for some advice you know um and the idea i think behind this film was that it was constructed from audio recording so it's like almost like the whole idea or the the i guess the gimmick for lack of a better word is that it's anthony bourdain telling his story in his own voice you know pulled from different audio books and all the sources that i just mentioned but there is this one line that, that the filmmaker felt was really important that he didn't have him saying so it's like the next level kind of powered up version of what they do in uh, reality television a lot, which is called Frankenbiting, where they take clips of audio that things that people have said and with a cutaway so that you don't see their mouths moving, they sort of stitch it together and use a little what they call it an audio editing crossfades so you don't hear any clicks or hiccups between the words. And you can be pretty convincing with that, but this isn't that. This is literally feeding this AI uh, software that uh, that the filmmaker hooked up with dozens of hours of these recordings and then using, I imagine, some sort of interface to type in these words. And I imagine there's a, there's a graphical user situation where you can you know adjust the cadence and all that. Um, but it's uh, getting a lot of backlash. It's almost like exclusively the conversation around what is apparently otherwise, you know, pretty good film. Ben, you saw it. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, I, I plan to, but um, overall... What did you think of the film, and uh, did you know this tidbit going in? Did not know this tidbit going in. I don't want to um, trick everyone to listen to a, like a painful uh, film review, but for uh, people who are, like me, uh, a fan of the man's work, uh, his legacy, his excellent writing, uh, which I don't think he gets enough credit for, uh, then this is um, this can be pretty controversial in terms of it's lack of objectivity. It is very much presenting a narrative regarding the circumstances uh, leading up to his suicide, especially his relationship with Asia Argento. Uh, and when I learned that the when, when I learned first that AI had been used to reconstruct the voice, uh, I was pretty appalled. And then secondly, uh, like a lot of people, you know, originally uh, the filmmaker said that the estate had agreed that this would be okay to do because these were words that Bourdain specifically wrote himself. So it's not like they had, you know, it's not like they used the AI to say, have him say, 
And what better time to try a Whopper from Burger King or something like that? Though they totally could, and I argue that's the problem. Uh, it's it's the ethical question of like, how would first the estate came forward, at least the widow, as I believe you mentioned and said, I definitely didn't say I was okay with this. And then other people came forward and said, uh, based on, you know, me knowing Tony in his lifetime, he would have been repulsed by this. But I think one of the biggest issues here, uh, not just, you know, uh, whether or not the estate or the person having their voice stolen or recreated, however you want to put it. Aside from that issue, one of the biggest concerns is ethical disclosure to your audience. You know what I mean? Like, what if what if you're listening to stuff they don't want you to know and you found out that um, Matt, Noel, or me, or all of us have been dead since 2017? And what you're hearing is just something written by somebody else in our voices. That's not a possibility yet, but it's on the way. Yeah, well, it, it, it's not far from a possibility. I mean, we, we've we all, um, through working in this field and looking into stories like this, I think we know that this technology definitely exists. I mean, I think there was even a, there was some kind of Adobe Summit, you know, Adobe, the company that makes Photoshop and Illustrator and all that. And they demonstrated some kind of software that was essentially described as like Photoshop for your voice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in feeding it just a couple of sentences, it could get a pretty, pretty convincing um, clone of, of a voice uh, kind of right before the audience's eyes. So with audio, it's even weirder, right? Because especially with podcasters and you know people people like us and um the fact that now there is so much audio only content uh so you don't have to have it be convincing and match up with a face i mean i mean you could argue that that like it would be harder to sell if it's just someone's voice but you know what if you manufacture someone's voice saying something really awful really offensive or like cancel worthy or something yeah for instance let's take it to a further extent what if you have what what if someone does a, a deep fake or an AI model of the president of the United States, whomever that is at the time, and then they broadcast across the world or in rival countries a statement saying, we're dropping the bombs, right? Like we are engaging in a preemptive nuclear strike. That's the stuff of science fiction and thrillers right now, but the technology is now there uh, such that pretty soon you'll need an AI program to tell you that's not the real voice and that might not even be enough. Like this could put people in very, very dangerous situations very quickly. It, it's it's deeper than documentaries and podcasts for sure. Yeah. Guys, I want to take the stance of the director or maybe a producer or someone on this documentary just for a second to imagine maybe the devil's advocate position. Sure. Because when you're creating something like this, you're if you're going to show footage of the email that was in question, right? Noel, that, that's what I think that's what it was, an email that was that's on right. screen. Mm-hmm. It's just 45 seconds of audio, I believe. Well, well, there's three different clips throughout the movie. This is just the most kind of poignant or pointed mm-hmm. one because it literally kind of is almost, it's like the last communication mm-hmm. that he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there were three other instances, that, none of which it seemed to have riled people up quite as much. I mean, honestly, it's the whole concept that's riling people up, but I think specifically it's this very private moment um, that they, you know, manufactured uh, him saying. Even though, you know, they obviously are his words. Mm-hmm. So there, there's another ethical issue. Like, is it okay because it's his words? I just want to clarify that's 45 seconds total, all three instances. So it's all a three very, instances. very yep. small part. 
Got it. Okay. So in the, I'm just going to go to that one moment and I'm imagining it laid out in, you know, premiere or something. And I've got the video of this email. I want the audience to know the contents of that email. So I'm going to highlight it with voiceover probably because really your options are you, you know, say something about this email, then you put it up as text on the screen so your audience can read it in the moment, you know, let it play for an amount of time that you anticipate the audience can read it and then it goes away. Or you have a narrator, somebody, whoever that person is going to be, read those words while they're on the screen. So in this case, if you're going to go that route, it can be some, you know, somebody who's been narrating with you for the entire documentary or just some random person that's going to only read Anthony Bourdain's words. Or in this case, because the technology is available, actually have Anthony Bourdain read the words he wrote. To me, I can imagine that being very desirable, uh, if only for emotional impact, right, of that moment of seeing that, you know, perhaps a downtrodden person saying something that where they're at uh, possibly one of their lowest moments. That's very intriguing to me. But everything that you guys have already pointed out, not letting your audience know, not getting permission from the estate to use it. I mean, it does seem incredibly uh, made in bad taste, a decision made in bad taste. I think it's absolutely desirable from a creative standpoint. I mean, and when you hear the filmmaker talking about it, that's how he frames it. He kind of doesn't do himself too many favors because he talks pretty flippantly and dismissively, almost as though he feels like people getting riled up about this is like ridiculous. And he, it was even maybe before the the the, out, the kind of outcry or whatever, but like he, you know, said something like. We can have a ethical panel. We can have a panel on documentary ethics later. Har, har, har. And, you know, as one of the articles I read, I think in the New York Times pointed out, the, the critics didn't want to wait till later because a lot of the critics didn't know going in either. And so then a lot of them had to almost amend their reviews and express their disgust with this technique. I'm with you, Matt, though. I see the creative need, especially since it's like a very uniform technique that he's doing, where, again, he went to great lengths to mine all this stuff. Yeah. So it could be largely in his, his voice. Ben, you've seen it. Is that accurate? Like it is kind of largely narrated by him based on, you know, pulling from all these sources? Yes. Yeah, so it's, I don't want to tell people what to think. I did enjoy watching it. Uh, and I largely agree with their depiction of Bourdain. However, I do want to say, you know, the big sticking point here is the permission of the estate. If the estate gave the permission, then it seems pretty ethical. But if we're playing devil's advocate, let's also acknowledge we have had voice actors do countless, countless recordings of other people. You know what totally. I mean? Like uh, the founding fathers, right? Uh, spoiler alert, that's not Jefferson that you hear on those History Channel documentaries. That's yeah. some other or, dude. Or in the Hall of Presidents at Disney. No, I think that is him. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, uh, no, it's a really it's a really good point. I mean, hell, I just did a voice reenactment uh, for a podcast of ours where I pretend to be this uh, ufologist. You know, um, I, I, we've all done, I think, narrations or recreations of like courtroom scenes or we've contributed, uh, you know, we've contributed reenactment voiceovers, you know, that were, but they are saying the words of other people. Um it's interesting. I think people are getting caught up in the creepy AI future of it all rather than necessarily thinking about 
if he really did anything wrong, per se. I mean, the fact that, yeah. that uh, Bourdain's widow tweeted out emphatically, he didn't ask me. Uh, he claimed to have asked her and the uh, executor, his literary agent. Mm-hmm. So I guess whomever has is the executor of his uh, literary estate, his life rights, right? Um, he and his his wife uh, were in the process of getting divorced. It just hadn't been finalized. So I'm, right. not, I'm not saying that matters necessarily. I just mean maybe she was not, no longer was the uh, executor in that way. Mm. So maybe her making this very kind of pointed, you know, all caps tweet certainly set some people off, but maybe he did actually clear with the proper channels, quote unquote. I just want to point out the voiceover Noel is referring to. In those instances, we always say, and the following is read by a voice actor or, you know, Mm -hmm. here are the words of so-and-so read by a voice actor and very clear. I think I'm in there too. That's strange arrivals, right? Great show. Check it out. It is. We had Toby ball on the show uh, on the last season. Uh, Maybe God, time is weird. Um, But I don't know. Like it's an interesting one. I think people are getting bent out of shape for the wrong reasons a little bit, but I do think the future of this tech is very troubling. Agreed. That's that's all I've got to say about that. I think it's uh, time <laughs> time for a, a quick sponsor break, and uh, and then we'll be back with some more strange news. Join Metro. They help you stay ahead of the game with nada, yada, yada. That means no contracts, no credit checks, and no surprises. Outsmarting yada, yada means, uh, you know, taxis and stuff. Shady subscriptions. Did you guys ever order something online and you thought it was just like a one-time purchase, but then... You found yourself subscribed? Yeah, I had to call and stop payment on something because I had subscribed to it through Apple Pay. And even though I had like put a new card on there, it still was uh, tied to whatever card was associated with my Apple Pay. So I had to like go through this whole process of getting it pulled. It was really, really annoying. Well, that'll never happen with Metro by T-Mobile because you don't take yada yada in life. And you're not going to take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada, helping you stay ahead without compromising on things you love the most. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Toyota believes in the power of personal choice for reducing carbon emissions. Beyond Zero is their vision to go beyond carbon neutrality, and they're working toward it with a diverse lineup of electrified vehicles. And electrified doesn't just mean plugified either. Toyota offers more low- and zero-emissions vehicles combined than any other automaker, so you have choices that fit your lifestyle. Whether you want a hybrid EV that starts and handles like a traditional Toyota with better MPG, 
a battery EV that delivers a smooth, silent, clean ride, or a plug-in hybrid EV that goes between battery and fuel to give you the best of both worlds, Toyota has you covered. And for those of you who prefer hydrogen, Toyota's fuel cell EVs emit nothing but water vapor from the tailpipe. So cool. But it doesn't stop with vehicles. Toyota is decreasing its plastic waste, supporting water conservation efforts, and expanding programs that protect critical species, all to help reduce their environmental footprint and create a positive impact on society, giving you the choice on how to reduce carbon emissions. That's Toyota's Beyond Zero Vision. Visit toyota.com slash electrified-vehicles slash beyond-zero-vision. Toyota. Let's go places. Oh, such a clutch pickup, Dave. I know, right? I was worried we'd bring back the same team. Oh, no, I meant those blackout motorized shades. MVP of the room. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. Even you could do it. Nice. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. You fly across the country to do the install? Nope. Blinds.com can do it all. All she had to do was pick what she wanted. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Look at you, Hall of Fame son. Oh, I just picked the winning team. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Oh, Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. He shoots. He scores. Go to Blinds.com for 40% off site-wide and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go right now for 40% off site-wide at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. And we're back. Now, candidly, everyone, I had a bit of a tough time finding a story that I felt met the stuff they don't want you to know criteria. So I'm going to rattle off a couple of quick headlines. We're going to go super fast. Then we'll jump to the one I chose for this week. Cool? Yes, sir. You guys okay? Okay. Yeah. First of all, Bismarcky has left us. That is correct. He had what we needed, and uh, it was advice about people who are less than forthcoming about their relationship status. Very talented individual. That is seriously kind of a sad thing that that hit all of us. Huge influence on hip-hop. I... You know, I know that uh, grief is something people encounter in their own ways, right? Probably the best description of grief is that it's waiting for a telephone that never rings, right? Um, if we're being poetic about it. But the when we see the passage of musicians and celebrities, you know, sometimes you might see something that seems like a smart-ass meme or, you know, a hot take tweet, right? It says like 690 million people are starving on the planet. And why are we, you know, why are you been out of shape about one person passing away? But I think that's an unfair way to look at it. Every human life is valuable and irreplaceable. So um, I'm grateful to, uh, to Marky and all his work. Yeah. He did a really great guest vocal on one of my favorite albums of the last, I think probably 10 years or more, uh, The Avalanche's Wildflower. He did, It's a very fun, jokey song called uh, Noisy Eater. Um, he, he talks about, you know, eating his Cap'n Crunch and, and cereal and, you know, poured the milk, made sure it was cold. It's like really just cool, fun, goofy, classic Bismarcky, uh, and it's a joy to listen to. And it also, like, matches it up with uh, kids singing Come Together by the Beatles. Uh, it's sped up, kind of. It's a really cool track if you haven't heard it. Yeah, it is cool. And another genuinely sad moment where you lose another person who was highly influential in the music space. 
there was a, I'm going to say the word, Ben, fun Olympic story. <laughs> uh, it was, uh, aside from all the stuff coming out about the growing list of participants who are testing positive, not for, uh, I think you made this joke, Ben, not for PEDs, but for COVID, mm-hmm. um, there's a rumor going around about the cardboard beds in the Olympic Village and how they're meant to prevent, uh, how did I put it here, cardio-based bed-related activities. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But, but it was proven to be just a rumor, at least according to NBC New York and several other outlets. And the New York Times, yeah, it got mm-hmm. it got debunked, but um, I'm glad it got debunked because it means that people are at least not as naive as they appeared in that initial story. I was talking with Doc about this off air. Uh, first reaction when I saw this was, okay, you're telling me that the literally the most physically in shape people on the planet who also happen to be the most psychologically driven people on the planet are going to want to are going to want to have sex because it is like a sex party at the Olympic Village. They're going to want to have sex and they're going to stop and go out oh, and go and do all oh, the bed doesn't work. Really? <laughs> really? Someone who can like is someone who is genuinely Captain America level of physical prowess yeah. is going to be like, I don't know how to have sex if we're not on a bed. They know about the helicopter. You don't need a bed for that. Uh, so, <laughs> sorry. Keep That's it That's literally a reference from my old band. That <laughs> was an inside joke for just the lions and scissors, guys. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Um, yes, you're correct. I think that's uh, absurd, but also um, <laughs> it is BYOP this year. Bring your own prophylactic because they are giving out many fewer condoms than normal uh, at an Olympics. I like how uh, it's just fewer. They're not giving out. Like, okay. So are there like condom quotas or condom rations? <laughs> I think, I think last year was 450,000. Now it's 160,000 or something like that. Uh but yeah. I just have this picture of every, like, there's a line, and it's all these athletes from across the world. There's someone saying, okay, everybody gets three. Choose wisely. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. Uh, yes, hopefully everyone stays safe at the Olympics in all the ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were some chemical fears that came out because at a Six Flags water park in Texas, Dozens of people got super sick and nobody really understood why. And it turns out there were some chemicals that shouldn't have been in one of the, what let's call them features of the water park. Just, you know, as we're going back out there, just be aware that everything is still terrible to some extent. So you can't even be safe at the water park. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you're certainly never safe from little kids pee at the water right. park. I know people that COVID or no would never dip a toe yeah. into a wave pool. Just you know? call them urine parks. They're urine chlorine <laughs> parks. Well, so that was a thing, blah, 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 that happened. Careful of carbon monoxide when you're using uh, generators, specifically gas-powered ones, when you're at music festivals. And Russia tested a missile, and so did the U.S., and the Cold War is still happening. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. Okay, so the major story is that The country of India looks to be planning, at least, on implementing some form of population control via something that China implemented a while ago, attempting to reduce the number of children individual families have. And they're doing this with incentives, interestingly enough. 
Mm. It feels almost like, uh, I don't know, some kind of new credit card system where you're going to get points for only having two kids or for getting one of one of your partners sterilized uh, at some point. It sounds like very strange stuff, but it's policies that are being put forth to solve a perceived problem, right? So let's talk about it. I'm going to be reading from Insider and India.com. I would highly recommend the India.com article. It has a pretty great set of two lists. One of them is what you need to know about the population policy that's being proposed, as well as the incentives and subsidies that are being offered for voluntary sterilization. Oh, boy. Sounds weird to even stay, right? Sure does. At least it's not involuntary sterilization. At least it's not like state-mandated sterilization. It's, uh, it's correct. Something. Yeah. Completely correct. Now, these policies are being put forth in two of the states within India, Uttar Pradesh, as well as uh, Assam, which is in northeastern India. Now, these haven't been adopted necessarily, if that makes sense. These are proposals, at least from my understanding, these are proposals. And they're going to they want them to run until tw- from now until 2030. That's the, the concept here. These proposals were put forth on July 11th, which is World Population Day. Uh, yay, population. Let's let's control it. <laughs> there are some issues here. The experts at the UN and UNICEF estimate that around 25 million children are born every year in India. That accounts for a fifth of the world's annual births, according to Insider. And uh, essentially, India in these two particular states are attempting just to reduce the number of people entering into the the economic system, the system of, you know, the things we've talked about on this show before. For each person, there comes certain costs for a state or a country, a local municipality, uh, as well as for the family itself. Weird to conceptualize. Uh, but let's talk about some of the things that they want to implement. First, they want to increase the accessibility of contraceptive measures, things that would be offered in the family planning program that exists there in several states. And they also want to provide a safe avenue for anyone seeking to get an abortion. So, well, depending on where you land politically, that's such a politicized uh, topic, at least here in the United States, and I would say the world over, giving the option for a person who wants to have an abortion to get an abortion is probably a good thing. They're also looking to do a little bit of propaganda, maybe, I would say. They're setting up these things called health clubs in schools. And the whole point there is to teach kids about how to keep the population stable and how to reach stabilization through some of these policies. There's other stuff here that we can get into. It's a draft of a bill right now. And the public is going to be giving suggestions until, guess what? the day that we record this episode. So I guess it's too late, unfortunately. Uh, Not really giving anyone awareness out there in India, just letting you know that this is happening. So not to derail us, but just to interject uh, very briefly, this is, as you can imagine, very controversial in some places. Uh, There have been political analysts who find that it is Islamophobic. Uh, They are worried that it is targeting a growing Muslim population. Uh, And also, 
to the point about incentives, the the opt-in, opt-out, organ donation discount for driver's license that we always talk about, that is that is a very milk toast example of how incentives can push you toward a mandate. Just like in Gattaca, remember, it wasn't illegal to have a kid who wasn't genetically modified. The insurance was just so expensive that their lives would be terrible uh, if they were born. So how far do these incentives go, Matt, in this proposed bill? Well, they go pretty far. Um, I'm going to read directly from India.com. The title is Yogi Adityanath unveils new population policy for UP, says every community taken care of. Okay, so they're saying that uh, parents who choose to limit their family to just two children, similar to the policies in China, the two-child policy that have recently been changed, altered to three, I believe. Uh, I think I think that's correct in China. They will essentially be able to get uh, more government money for several things. Housing, they call them housing schemes, um, as well as contributions from their employers. So personal contributions to the individual or the family from the employer. Um, also promotions within wherever they're working, if they're working for the government or with the government. There are also stuff in there about reducing what you have to pay for water, electricity, house taxes, home loans, and other stuff uh, that you would need to run a house that contains, you know, just two children rather than more than two children. And one of the most, I don't know, potentially damaging things within this proposal for a family that ends up having more than two children is this last one that they list on India.com. Children of a family of two would have free education up to graduation level, quote, scholarship for higher studies in the cases of a girl, a female child here, Mm -hmm. according to India.com, and preference to the single child in government jobs uh, and other other benefits that couples with a single child will receive. So there, there are even benefits for reducing from two to one. I don't know, guys. Yeah, there was an earlier bill in 2019. The 2020 bill is a little bit different because the 2019 bill that was proposed, Matt, you just described what are called the carrots, right? The incentives, mm-hmm. the rewards, the goodies. Uh, the 2019 bill included what would be known as the stick. The penalties for couples that did not uh, adhere to the proposed two-child policy, you wouldn't be able to run for office. You wouldn't be able to uh, get certain government jobs or get promoted or get certain government benefits. Like they were coming down hard on people and incentives, including the one-time cash incentive, may be one of the uh, one of their best chances of enacting this policy, regardless of how you feel about it, because the family and the children are such a support network uh, for for people. And if you look at the ongoing problem of female infanticide in India, then you'll see why they have those um, why they have those sexual distinctions, right? For a female child. Uh, they say, you know, you get these certain benefits because due to poverty and the dowry system and multiple other factors, there are families that have a higher than average chance of this, like of learning the sex of a child and then aborting it if it is a, if it is biologically female. So they're wow. fighting against uh, a history uh, spanning centuries. 
So I mean, does it sound like, I don't want to put words in your mouth, ben, but it sounds to me like maybe you're almost uh, saying that there's a little bit of humanitarianism in this policy. Like it could be much more draconian, but instead it's like, okay, we know we have a population problem. We know we have these historical issues with the way female children are treated. We have to do something about it, but I think maybe they could have gone farther. To their credit, I mean, it is creepy, obviously, and not something we think about here in the States, but I don't know. What what are your thoughts there, Ben? Well, the the question here is also, yeah, just in, in terms of human interest, uh, how would you feel if you, for anybody not living in India, how would you feel if your government told you there was a limit on the number of children you could have? Uh, what what would your reaction be? And is there an official reasoning that would get you on board with it? Because, mm-hmm. I, I mean, if you imagine, think of it this way, the average household size in India is 4.8. Uh, though that doesn't mean necessarily that it's two parents and then 2.8 kids. But it does, it does indicate that there, of course, there would be pushback. It's... It's a dangerous kind of law to enact, uh, even if it has noble intentions, and it can be a painful law to enact. The incentives are, are great, you know, to to help people toward that move, but also consider the long tail ramifications of China's policy, the similar policy, right? The the gender divide is crazy there right now, uh, in terms of the male population being skewed because people wanted a male heir, right? This, uh, it, it, it's, it's incredibly difficult to figure out an equitable way to do this, you know, but I think, I don't know, Matt, do we know the inspiration behind this? Well, there are a lot of people in India. It is currently, I believe, the second most populous country that exists outside of China. And in that one state, Uttar Pradesh, there are 240 million people. And India overall, at least according to UNICEF and the UN, uh, it will overtake China as the world's most populous country by 2027. So you can see that, you know, they likely want to reduce those numbers if they can or reduce the trajectory if they can a little bit. As we as we said, there are issues Real, real issues when, you know, you increase a population and it, if that is outpacing your ability as a country, as a st- on a state level, on a local level to feed everybody, to get everybody jobs, to do everything uh, that, uh, you know, each individual family will need. I don't this. It's really messed up, though, just thinking of having to do this. Like I'm imagining the meetings where people are saying, well, we've got to find a solution. What does our solution look like? And how do we how do we do this without being evil? Mm -hmm. Um, And I guess this is what you come up with incentives to only have two children or fewer and bad things that happen if you don't do that. Yeah. One activist, uh, Kavitha Krishan, said every time there's population control, it's led to violence against women's bodies. Right. There is an uh, there's a huge opportunity for uh, corruption, for violence. One point to establish uh, the issue here and part one of the reasons I, I imagine many people living in the country are concerned about this is that femicide became such an acknowledged problem that back in 1994, the country of India banned 
what's called prenatal sex determination. You know how if you're expecting a child, you can go to your doctor and they can, you know, do some doctor magic and then they'll be able to tell you, you know, what what they believe the gender is. Uh, And, you know, some people want to be surprised. Some people would rather know in advance. Uh, That doesn't happen in India. It's crazy. Put yourself in the position of somebody who has to think about that. If you've had your second child, you either have to convince your partner to become sterilized, get sterilized yourself, or risk real financial problems, perhaps, or have to get an abortion at some point if you do get pregnant again. The choices you would be faced with, no matter what, uh, if you end up having two children, right immediately after that, um, none of them look that great on paper. So, yeah, we'd love to know what you think. And uh, especially if you live in India or if you're watching this happen, if you lived in China under the two child policy, if you just got any insight, we'd love to hear from you. Um, But for now, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with more strange news. Now, I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melody. Melon Serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Join Metro. They help you stay ahead of the game with nada, yada, yada. That means no contracts, no credit checks, and no surprises. Outsmarting yada, yada means, uh, you know, taxis and stuff. Shady subscriptions. Did you guys ever order something online and you thought it was just like a one-time purchase, but then you found yourself subscribed? Yeah, I had to call and stop payment on something because I had subscribed to it through Apple Pay. And even though I had like put a new card on there, it still was uh, tied to whatever card was associated with my Apple Pay. So I had to like go through this whole process of getting it pulled. It was really, really annoying. Well, that'll never happen with Metro by T-Mobile because you don't take yada yada in life. And you're not going to take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada, helping you stay ahead without compromising on things you love the most. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Can I give you a real incentive to lean into your decision to start working out and eating better? I'm Carl, co-founder of Body. That's B-O-D-I. And right now, if you sign up for a one-year subscription to Body, I want to make you an offer you can't refuse. I'll give you 65% off. Look, I know it's not easy to get fit and lose weight, especially if you're trying to figure it out by yourself. But we make it simple. Just follow a program for 20 to 30 minutes day by day and lose 5 to 10 pounds a month. We have over 120 programs that have been tested and proven to work, and almost 300,000 five-star reviews in the App Store to prove it. 
Body also has complete eating plans and thousands of healthy, delicious recipes. So stop guessing and start seeing results with Body, and I'll give you 65% off your annual membership right now so you save big on the app that CNN underscored named Best Fitness App. So don't wait. Sign up for a year of Body and save 65%. Just go to Body.com. That's Body with an I dot com. Oh, such a clutch pickup, Dave. I know, right? I was worried we'd bring back the same team. Oh, no, I meant those blackout motorized shades. MVP of the room. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. Even you could do it. Nice. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. What, you fly across the country to do the install? Nope. Blinds.com can do it all. All she had to do was pick what she wanted. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Look at you, Hall of Fame son. Oh, I just picked the winning team. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Oh, Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. He shoots. He scores. Go to Blinds.com for 40% off site-wide and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go right now for 40% off site-wide at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. And we've returned. Uh, question here. Uh, when's the last time you guys looked at your smartphones? couple seconds. couple seconds ago? What about you, Noel? Literally just like one second ago while we went to the commercial break. <laughs> it pops up as we're sitting here recording. I've got it kind of over to the right. And every once in a while, it just lights up when yeah. an email comes through. And I'm oh. just like, okay. Mm-hmm. Catches your eye, you know, right, right, right there. It's like, uh, it's like a beacon. It's always calling to you. Yep. And it's designed to do so. It's very successful in pretty much any country that has widespread smartphone use. You will look increasingly odd not being on your phone, right? You like you forget your phone, you go to the airport and you're standing in line, not looking at your phone, just sort of staring off into space like a psychopath, you're counting the number of trash cans, you lunatic, right? It's it's unusual now. And I think this is an important thing to think about when we look into our last story, the iceberg that somehow is also a web, because I made the worst metaphor ever on air. Uh it's this was a massive data leak recently that uncovered human rights abuses on an enormous scale. We do not know at the time of recording, we do not know how widespread this is. We don't know how many people died as a result of this, uh, but we will give you the ins and outs of the story. There's a Outfit you may not have heard of called NSO Group Technologies, which stands for Niv, Shalev, and Omri. It is an Israeli technology firm that created a spyware program called Pegasus. Pegasus is scary because no matter how good your security is on your phone, whether you have an iPhone or an Android or something else, this stuff can be covertly installed without you having to click on anything. It enables keystroke monitoring of all communications from your phone. It also allows the it also allows the user to track phone call content and track location. It allows the user to hijack a mobile phone's microphone and camera, turning it into a constant surveillance device. This has been rumored. Stuff like this has been rumored for uh, since the advent of these mobile devices. 
However, this is absolute proof. This affects multiple things. We don't know how far it goes. Uh, We don't know what exactly tech companies can do to stop it. But I'd like to give us just a little bit of a timeline as we dive in. So first off, NSO was founded in 2010. They've been around for more than a decade now. And they claim that this technology they're selling is to authorized governments. And this will help them combat terrorism and organized crime and stuff like that. But according to several reports, including a piece by Amnesty International, software that was created by NSO was used in attacks against people you wouldn't ordinarily consider terrorists. People like journalists who were reporting on human rights abuses. People like human rights activists who were reporting on human rights abuses. There's a little bit of a pattern is what we're saying. Uh, There's also evidence that, not conclusive, but there's evidence that we can trace the use of Pegasus to the murder of specific people, such as Jamal Khashoggi, who was uh, vivisected, dismembered while alive by the Saudi government. Uh, The U.S. refused to do anything. And as we record today, uh, the Saudi government has experienced no repercussions for this state-sanctioned murder. Uh, There was another journalist that we'll get to in a moment who also was pretty, pretty definitely murdered by people using this, uh, using this software. And this brings us to the first debate. So now that we have the, now we have the lay of the land, I wanted to ask you all, Matt, Noel, do you think NSO should bear any responsibility for these, uh, for this targeting? For these human rights abuses? That's tough, man, because they built a weapon that they assured everyone would only be used by, you know, government officials, by oh, intelligence but, agencies. That's and, what they say about all that kind of stuff. That's what they said about the face scanning software, radar detectors, and tasers. It always, you make the thing with the best of intention, you're still responsible for it if it finds itself into the hands of bad actors. I, I agree. I, I'm just saying it's not clear cut, right? So, no, it's not. I mean, I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying, like, it's something we see historically that PR line of, oh, we made this only for you know the use by seasoned professionals in X industry, but that's not how technology works. I mean, you don't always get to keep the genie hidden behind the paywall or whatever. You know, the yeah. fire can burn you as easily as it can warm you or cook your food, right? And, there you go. And anybody can ride in a car. <laughs> But we have seen, at least my understanding, Ben, in several of the cases where someone died, even though it's unknown if this Pegasus had anything to do with their actual death, but there, but Pegasus was used on several phones or close to several people, like you said, Khashoggi and uh, some other journalists, where it appears that there was a state actor looking into one of these individuals, and then they ended up dying. Yeah, exactly. I'd like to thank the excellent reporters at The Guardian, specifically David Pegg, Paul Lewis, Michael Safi, and Nina Lakani, who all collaborated uh, in in breaking this story. What kind of terrorists are these governments hunting once they get a hold of Pegasus? Oh, you know, uh, people like lawyers, religious figures, academics, business people, diplomats, heads of state. Senior government officials. That doesn't 
quite sound like ISIS to me. And this reporting is ongoing now. I, I highly recommend checking out a story that broke just yesterday uh, by Paul Lewis over at The Guardian. And it, from what we can see, they're going to continue reporting. Pay attention to them because over the next few days, uh, they'll be revealing identities of specific people who have been targeted. They're also going to be drilling down into how governments rationalize spying on their citizens, uh, how these seemingly innocuous processes can become something dangerous. The The problem right now is if you want to know whether the phone of someone whose number appears on the leak was actually targeted by a government or whether it was successfully hacked, you'd have to get a hold of the phone. You'd have to pull a little habeas corpus and do some forensic analysis. But the journalists have already found, because you know journalists talk to each other, they're colleagues, they've already found some examples of phones that contain signs of Pegasus activity. And we know that right now, this appears to be the most extreme kind of counter-espionage measure uh, since 2013, since the days of Edward Snowden. And now we get to the web, some web parts. Because right as this story broke, the United States and the United Kingdom released accusations that China was behind a big hack in Microsoft Exchange. This is causing some of the more cynical people in the global crowd to say, hey, what about the fact basically proven this software has been used to kill people, uh, which you can't say yet about the Microsoft Exchange hack. So were they trying to get people to pay attention to something else? Um, also, what about what about Julian Assange? One of the witnesses in his case recently said they lied. <laughs> they lied because the main goal is to get him extradited to the U.S. where he will die in prison. A lot of stuff is happening in the, the sphere of technology and espionage now. And I think a lot of us, a lot of people need to learn more about it. One thing is obvious. While NSO Group may not be aware, just to be overly fair, maybe they aren't aware of what's happening, right? Maybe they're... Maybe they're like a an, an international arms company that, as you said, Matt, sells weapons and then says, oh, I didn't. Oh, wow. Those missiles explode. That's that's nuts. <laughs> we yeah. call it. They are it's decorative a, it's a, it's a, lawn sculptures. It's a feature, yes. not a bug. It's, it's yeah. Intended. It's like when you go into and you go into the head shop years ago and you had to say, oh, could I try out a water pipe? And you would get kicked or smoking out. tobacco, please, sir. <laughs> right? Or you? How get dare you? Yeah, you get kicked out if you got if you called it a bong. So there's mm, a yeah. lot of this idea that it is used for national security may be true, but what it's looking like right now is that it also is being used for a different definition of national security, which is to keep a current regime in charge, uh, to enforce a status quo, up to and including fatal measures. Yeah, keeping Dude. that keeping that regime secure is what it's all about. Well, you know, um, man, Paul Lewis. What is it, in that article? Paul Lewis refers to NSO as what uh, developers of weapons of mass surveillance or something like that. Mm -hmm. A little callback to the the uh, Bush administration. Mm -hmm. And this 
is an on-demand service. The market for this kind of stuff has blown up. It's bigger than an SO. The reason people are talking about an SO right now is entirely because of this leak. That's the reason it's happening in a critical way. But if you look back through the record, uh, people have been raising their hands about the dangers posed by this technology and lack of oversight for a quite a while, for years. It's just now the surveillance has hit the fan, if we want to style on the old cliche. Uh, I guess if we're going to be fair, NSO Group has responded and they have uh, they have denied any kind of complicity. Of course, they've said, you know, we have we have vetted people. We, we've not only like vetted our state actors that we're selling this to, but the stories about the, this are either exaggerated or they're making false claims, wrong assumptions, uncorroborated theories. We see ourselves as a group on a life saving mission, right? Which you know, that would be the idea. You could prevent the next terrorist attack, maybe even the next 9-11 before it occurs. That's amazing. That is, you are literally saving lives at that point. But the question is one of proof. It becomes, as you know, it becomes devilishly difficult to prove that your actions prevented something that would have happened. You know, like, for instance, if you had, a, on a microcosmic level, not to get too psychic powery about it, but if you, what if you had a really terrible dream that one of your friends or your family members was going to be in a car accident the next day, you wake up, you call them and you say, hey, don't, don't drive to the, uh, <laughs> don't, uh, I'm thinking of something ridiculous, uh, don't drive to the Beanie Baby convention. Or don't drive to the quesadilla con because, uh, you know, I had a dream you were going to get in an accident. And they don't drive. So they don't get in an accident. Does that mean you're psychic? Not really. Yeah, but what if there's a carbon monoxide leak at their house and they only got affected because they didn't take a drive that day? Exactly. What if you accidentally killed them? So, right, you you start to try to unwind the 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 mass of chronology and timelines involved. The best argument for NSO's position at this point would be proven cases wherein an attack, a terrorist attack of some sort or an organized crime initiative was prevented, but they also claim that they don't receive the information that the, this, their customers get due to, due to privacy concerns. But it looks like the Khashoggi family was definitely targeted uh, using this software, not only before his murder, but after his murder. So they kept an eye on him. This is per Amnesty International. And this is despite repeated denials by the NSO group. So were they simply unaware that this was occurring or what? You know what I mean? What are the alternatives? It's a good question. So are you saying that you think there may have been active cover up? There's definitely an active cover-up of the Khashoggi death. The U.S. is participating in it, unfortunately. Well, you said, I mean, the idea that, that they were not aware this was going on. That seems very unlikely. <sighs> right? I mean, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I I don't know. I think it's maybe a, a tall order to say, like, oh, you all knew exactly what you were doing, and you just said you're fine with it because the money was good enough, and you rationalized it. It seems unfair, but it's not looking good. You know, because they're, I, I, I would say, how much of a, how much leeway do you have when you say something like that? When you say to the missile thing, 
I designed these. Uh, I designed these missiles. I sell them to people for their defense. I am not in charge of where they get detonated, right? And that's something, you know, legally, that's something the world has kind of agreed on now. A firearm manufacturer is not held responsible for firearm deaths. And you could go to any number of different industries. I think firearms might be a little controversial for people, uh, but if you think about it in this term, in these terms, like what if what if Facebook sold a surveillance tool, and what if people began using that to stalk, harass, and possibly assault or murder uh, their former lovers? Right. Well, that's that's an interesting point, Ben, because, because I think happened. the fire, I think the firearm. Uh, Connection is interesting because firearms kill people when they work as advertised. <laughs> other things, uh, like other products, if a toaster blows up uh, in your house and kills you, that toaster company probably would be liable for that. So what happens when technology that exists for one purpose is then co-opted and used for a different purpose? Is that the responsibility of the company to safeguard against these potential negative uses? Uh, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a very tough question and not really, you know, it depends on the situation. There's not really an easy answer to that. Because obviously there are safeguards in place to keep, you know, maybe children from shooting themselves or shooting others with safety, you know, precautions on guns. But again, when the gun is used as intended, it, it, it kills people. So in this case, Again, this is an emergent story. In this case, it's important to note that we're going to learn more very soon. We don't know how far this goes, but the amnesty investigation, at the, as of yesterday, identified at least 180 journalists in 20 different countries who have been targeted by this spyware between 2016 and July of 2021. And they're including some places that are pretty famous for repressing journalists, like Azerbaijan, where if you were a journalist in Azerbaijan, good luck. I don't know what else to say. This this gets hairy very quickly. Uh, and or this, in parts of Mexico. Or in they, parts of Mexico. There's a lot of reporting. Yeah, yep. There's a, a journalist named Cecilio Pineda. Their phone was selected for targeting just a few weeks before he was brutally murdered in 2017. Another investigation identified at least 25 Mexican journalists who were targeted over a two-year period. NSO has said even if Pineda's phone was targeted for some reason by state actors in Mexico, data collected from his phone didn't contribute to his death, which seems like an interesting distinction. They didn't find his phone, though. So there's exactly. like all kinds of stuff in these where, like you said earlier, if you don't find the phone, you can't prove that Pegasus had anything to do with like locating the phone in the moments leading up to the death. Right. So any state actor can now, if they have access to Pegasus, can carry out extra judicial killing as long as they remove the cell phone from the crime scene. <laughs> mm -hmm. The perfect crime, right? It's terrible. Uh, and this may be something we explore further in the future as the story unfolds. It seems that this sort of information warfare mass surveillance is only set to accelerate in not even the years, in the months to come. So please be careful out there, folks. Uh, please let us know your stories about mass surveillance. Please let us know your take on uh, AI modeling, on stealing someone's voice, uh, as well as all of the other stories we've discussed here, including India's uh, proposal 
or population control. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. You are the best part of the show, fellow conspiracy realists. So do reach out. We try to be easy to find online. You can find us online, as Ben said, on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube, where we are Conspiracy Stuff or Conspiracy Stuff Show on Instagram. You can also call us on the telephone. You're old school. Our number is one eight three three stdwytk You've got three minutes. Leave whatever message you like. Please give yourself a cool nickname or tell us your name, however you want to play it. Let us know if we can use your message and name on the air. If you have too much to say in three minutes and you got links and other things you want to share with us, we highly recommend you send us a good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iheartradio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just $348. With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals. It's not about being the best in the world. It's about doing what's best for the world. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.